that you are here. It is easy when you read and study the Sermon on the Mount to allow your mind to go into neutral because it is something that you've probably heard uh, so many times and a passage like this in Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock, I'm sure you've probably heard a thousand times as well. It's easy to read it and go, okay, I need to pray more. Can we just get on with it and and miss a lot of the intent that that Jesus is getting at because of the familiarity of the text. And I, I want to slow down uh, this morning and focus a little bit more on what I think you have Jesus intending here, that certainly one of the key outcomes is about our prayer life and our need to ask and to knock and to seek him. But I want you to notice that Jesus really does spend more of his time speaking about the disposition of God. It's one thing to say to you and to everybody in the room, okay, let's all just pray more. But but Jesus understands the difficulty of that and the need to encourage that in us. And the way that he's going to encourage this increased prayer life and this asking is by showing us the disposition of God. And so in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you, and let the words of verse 8 sink in and not just fly by. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks It will be opened. What Jesus is doing is encouraging and strengthening us to really come to God and to engage God. And I want you to notice how he goes about that. Notice verse 9 as he now speaks about God's disposition. Where he says in verse 9, Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? It's a great thought that's being given right is he slows down for a minute and says, if your child asks for bread, would you not give your child bread? And the intent is for you to say, of course you would. (laughs) Absolutely. And they are in need of bread. Here's a picture of an important staple. Here is something that they would absolutely need as they are hungry. Here is is Jesus saying, would you, of course, give them something to eat? And you would. But notice how he then contrasts that and says, if they came to you and said, I need something to eat, I need some bread, would you turn around and go to your pantry, pull out a rock and say, you know, I think this will work out for you just fine. Here you go. Have this rock. And what is God trying to get get us to understand? His disposition, number one, is that when we come to him, he's not going to respond to us with useless things. Here we are, we're coming to him, we have a need, and we say, I need bread. And God goes, well, I've got some useless things I might give you instead. Here, let me stick a rock in your hand and see if how that works out for you. Come back to me in a few hours and see if that's sufficient. God doesn't operate like that. You are getting a picture of this God that you are supposed to ask and seek and knock from. And the first picture is you are not going to come to him and get something back that is useless. Something that's unhelpful. Something that is not in correspondence to what you are looking for. 
And you will notice he does the same thing with the, with the second picture when he says there uh, in, in verse 10. And if he asks you for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? <laughs> Let me give you something dangerous. Let me give you something harmful. And, and think about what you're hearing from God in this. With the first point, have you ever opened a present and you looked at it and you were like, I don't know what this is or what you're supposed to do with it. <laughs> it falls in the useless category. I really appreciate the intent. Oh, it's great. <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. It is utterly useless to you. God doesn't give gifts like that. God doesn't respond that way. Nor... Does a good parent give something that's going to turn out to be harmful? As parents, you can probably think about how many times a child has asked for something for their birthday or Christmas or some other holiday or just general askings of life. Where you step back and you thought, you know, I'm not going to give you that because I think I'm, you're going to kill yourself with that. One of my favorites is a few years ago, one of my kids really wanted a hoverboard. I don't know how they ever got the name hoverboard. They don't hover. They just roll around on two wheels. But at the time, when they first came out, you might remember they all caught fire and were exploding. And then people were breaking arms and in ERs. And it was on America's Funniest Videos every week of everybody trying to get on it and then crashing into everything. And one of my kids wanted one. I went, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> I prefer not to have to see you kill yourself on that thing or burn our house down. I think I'd just as soon not do that. This is the picture that's being given to us about God. I'm not going to give you something harmful when you ask of me. I'm not going to give you something where you're going to look at it and go, what is this? I don't, uh, this is not what I was looking for. Completely useless. You are getting an image of the disposition of God. And notice how he underscores that in verse 11. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Just stop there. I think every parent tries to do their best with raising their kids. But every parent would also quickly admit made some mistakes. Yeah. Didn't do everything quite right. Could have done that better. Would have rewound that, said that different, done that different, handled that different. And notice that's the contrast here. Here are we as parents who would try to do our best as we see fit with our children and know how to not give useless, harmful things. Now follow the rest of verse 11. How much more... Will your father who is in heaven know how to give good things to those who ask him? If we as human beings understand verses 9 and 10 very clearly about parenting and giving and children asking and here's what they need and how we would respond and we wouldn't give them something harmful. We wouldn't give them something useless. We would respond as best we can as good parents. Then how much more the perfect father, the perfect father who is in heaven, who has power and control over all things, will he give you 
good things. This is giving us a picture of the disposition of God. If I as a parent want to give my kids good gifts, and I am certainly not perfect, nor perfectly righteous, nor do things perfectly, then how much more does God feel that way for us? This is one of the powerful spots where when Jesus speaks of God as father, it should really resonate what God is trying to say in that parent picture. If we understand how that's supposed to look, then how much more is the good father in heaven going to respond to us with exactly what we need and not give us things that are useless or things that are harmful, but rather things that are good. And in that picture, you get one more disposition of God. Because you will notice that verse 11 does not say, and you know, here is God in heaven. And when you ask, you know, he's really a curmudgeon and he's a Scrooge and he just always says no. And you just kind of have to beg him because he really doesn't like you very much. But, you know, if you just kind of wear him out, he might give you something. That's not the picture either. You know, you probably have seen parents or had parents or been a parent where the parent, as soon as the child opened their mouth, the parent just said, no, <laughs> can I? No, <laughs> it would be all right. No, <laughs> now, I want you to know God's not like that. God is not pictured as the one who's going to give you the automatic. No, as soon as you begin to ask, how much more do we have a father in heaven who is going to give us, who wants to give us, who desires to give us these good things Who ask of him. This is an amazing image about how God operates. That it is God's desire to say yes. It is God's desire to give. It is his desire to give us good things. He wants us to ask. And he is desiring to give those things to us. Now I want us just to. Maybe take a step back and think about that for a minute. If God is saying. I want to give, I want to give to my children, I want to give them good things. I'm not going to give them things that are harmful and useless. I'm not going to do something that's going to be damaging because I am the good father in heaven. Then you're getting an important thing to think about in verses 7 and 8 now. Trace back to 7 and 8 and listen to it again. So ask and it will be given to you. And seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. I think you have the same imagery of this parental desire. This parental desire to give good gifts. If I think about that as a parent, I would say to my children, I want you to ask. I want you to ask anything. And I I want to give and I want to give in a way that's good for you and not harmful and not useless. But I'm going to do those things for you. And so, sure, ask and I'll give it to you. But you would understand the parameters that what you have God saying, just as a parent would say, is that doesn't mean in an absolute sense. Uh, Yes, I will give my kids if they ask, but obviously I'm not going to give them things that are going to destroy them. I'm not going to give them a hoverboard. 
I just don't think that's a really good idea. And they go, oh, my parents, they don't care. No, they got, their parents care. And I would say, of course I give to my kids. And of course I listen to them and I respond when they ask. But I have an understanding of what they need. And I have an understanding of what's useless. And I have an understanding of what's harmful. And so I'm going to respond with the things that are going to be good for them. And so in that parameter, I think you have something important that Jesus is asking us and telling us to think about with God. Ask God and know that he's going to give to us within the parameters of his wisdom, within the understanding of what it means to be a good father. He he can't of his character be a bad father. He's going to respond with things that are good for you. That's how he's going to answer. And now I want you to just kind of let this be a mental free flow for a minute. So Jesus tells us that God is a good father who is in heaven, who is going to give to us what we ask within the boundaries of his goodness and wisdom, what is not useless, what is not harmful, but what is, what is appropriate for us. So are there things that for some reason we are not asking of God? You have Jesus saying something that I think is so important that we can have the tendency to withdraw from. How many times or how many situations or how many concerns do you encounter where you decide, I'm not going to ask God about that. I'm just going to figure it out. Just going to work through it. How many times are there things that we need and we just think, I'm not going to ask God about that? Or think about hardships you face. I'm just not going to ask God about that. Or decisions that you have to make. Well, I'm just not going to ask God about that. I want us to hear the picture that Jesus is giving to us about our father, where God's word to us is, I want you to ask me. I want you to ask me, please ask me. I am a good God. I am your father. Why would we not ask him for whatever it is, whatever the circumstance? Ask him. That's what this is driving at. When you understand the disposition of God, then why would we not ask him? He wants us to come to him. He's just opening the door and saying, here I am in control of all the universe and I am a good father who gives good things. So why not ask? And don't let it stop on the picture of asking. Notice he says, And if you will seek, you will find. How many times in your life have you not known where to go or what to do? And here's God going, just ask me about that. Uh, I'm great at directions. Uh, I I can give you guidance. If you seek, uh, I'm going to help you find. Here we are walking in life in the dark. I'm going to give you the direction you need. 
Or how many times have you had in your life a, a door that's closed? And here is God saying, you know, if you'll knock on that door, I can open doors. I know how to open doors. I know how to get you to what you're looking for. I'm able to give good gifts. Why aren't you asking me about the doors in your life? Why aren't you talking to me about how you're directionless in the dark? Why aren't you asking me about your problems, your concerns, your needs, the things that are happening? What is going on in your life? Why don't we do that? I think that is the ultimate implication that is being given to us in this picture is God is just begging us, asking us, telling us, you can come to me. You can talk to me. And I suppose if you're like me, there's a lot of things that you just encounter in life. And you probably just think they're just too small. They're too mundane. They're too run of the mill. They're just too daily. You know, it's one thing we talk to God about the unusual, the big thing, the big problem, the big issue, the big concern. Okay, I got to talk to God about this. But notice he doesn't say there in, in verse A, ask only when it's something really big. Ask when it's something really hard. But so often we can allow what is the common and the mundane and the average of life. And we just don't ask. We don't knock. We don't seek. We don't do anything with it. We just keep going. And here is the the father in heaven saying, I'm the one that can answer that. I'm the one that can give you what you need. I can get you through today. I can get you through life. But you've got to ask me. This is how Jesus is encouraging this vibrant prayer life is to see this picture of who God is. A God who wants to listen, who cares about your concerns, who wants to hear your needs and wants to respond. Now, there's something I think very unusual about this section of text. Look at verse 12. You might be surprised that I connected verse 12 to this paragraph. But you will notice that verse 12 has a very important word. That very first word that sits there is either a therefore or so. So he didn't leave the last paragraph while he was talking. He's drawing a conclusion from what he just said in the prior paragraph. And on the surface, you might read and go, okay, well, therefore do to others what you wish others to do to you. What? What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Why do that? In fact, I think some don't know when they drop out the therefore because they're just like, that can't be connected, but that word's there. This understanding about the disposition of God is supposed to draw out verse 12. All right, let's talk about verse 12 for a minute. Then we'll try to figure out what the teaching connection is to this. You'll notice in verse 12, he says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Interesting picture that's that's given to us here. First thing that I want us to notice, Jesus does not say, I want you to do for others as you want them to do to you. As some kind of transaction. 
How many times do we use the golden rule transactionally? I'm going to do good with an expectation that you're going to do good back. That's the reason I'm going to do that. So I'm going to do what I would wish them to do to me. And then we sit back and go, yeah, but they didn't do back what I wish they wanted to do for me. So I'm not going to do that anymore. That didn't work. Sometimes we can use the golden rule as a manipulation. I'm going to do good so that you will do good back. Notice that's not the response that Jesus gives. He doesn't say do for other people so that they will feel guilt and they'll feel compelled to do the right thing and treat you the right way and do it back for you. This is not about getting people to do what you want. In fact, he says the reason why you're supposed to do for others as you would want them to do for you, treat them as you would want to be treated. He says at the end of verse 12, that's a great summary of the essence of the law. It's not about trying to get people to respond. It's about this is exactly what God's law looks like. This is a great summary picture of Loving your neighbor. This is what the law and the prophets look like. So it's not a transactional thing where, well, I'm going to do for you so that you'll do something for me. And we can do that in relationships and friendships and marriages and work side and all that and think, well, that's the only reason I'm going to do it is to try to get them to do something for me. And if they don't respond, then I'm not going to do that anymore. That's not what Jesus is telling us. Notice there's nothing here in verse 12 about what they do back for you. You know, treat others how you would want to be treated. But if they don't treat you back that way, it's okay to stop. That's kind of how I mentally work that, right? I'll I'll treat them how I, I want to be treated, but they're not treating me how I want to be treated. So I guess I don't need to do that anymore. No, that's not the picture. But notice also the picture is something else that is we have a tendency to do. Verse 12 is not written in merely the negative. That is, so don't do to other people what you wouldn't want done to you. That's true. But that's lowering the bar. That's kind of the principle of avoidance. I don't have to deal with people. I just won't do to them what I don't want them to do to me. That's a whole lot easier. And, you know, fairly, we'll use that as a teaching moment for our kids. They do something wrong. You'd be like, now, is that how you would want to be treated? No. Okay, well, then don't do that to other people. But that's not what the law is saying. The law is saying just don't negatively impact other people. You will notice it's being proactive You must proactively enter into people's lives and treat them as you would want to be treated. To positively do good for them, even though they may not be doing that back. Okay. So what does that have to do with the prior paragraph? What's the therefore here doing? Why the so? Why, Why bring all that out? How are we going to be able... To do verse 12, if I plucked verse 12 out, 
ripped it out of context, put it on the board, and let's just hold it by itself. We need to treat others as we would want to be treated. One of the big things that's going to come up is how are we going to be able to sustain that? How can we sustain that? Because that's not always going to be reciprocated. It is going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. It is hard to constantly proactively do good for people. And, and you, you instead get some negative in response. How are you going to be able to do that? That's where the prior paragraph comes into play. Because God has you covered. Is ultimately what verses 7 through 11 are doing. Jesus' answer to us is that God is going to give you what you need. You are able to not worry about yourself and proactively do good to other people because you know that God has you covered, that God is going to take care of you. Just ask And he's going to take care of you. That is what is going to allow us to be able to be the kind of people who can essentially give ourselves away. Here's why I say it that way. Because if you do verse 12 long enough, what happens? Well, they don't appreciate it. They're taking advantage of me. They're... Right? (laughs) What are all the reasons why we slow down on verse 12? Because after you try doing this a while, it doesn't necessarily feel very good. And you feel like, hey, what's going on here? But notice here is the picture that is being given to us is we can give ourselves away to others because we know that God is listening and is going to take care of what we need. So ultimately then, We can give ourselves away to other people and treat them and do good to them as we would want to be treated and as the good that we would want to receive. We can just give ourselves away like that all day long in every relationship because we know God's listening and is going to take care of us. Friends, that's how we can give ourselves away in our friendships where you're just doing good and doing good and treating them the way you'd want to be treated and you just keep going and going and going. God's got you covered. It's how you can do that in your family relationships and you're dealing with hard people. And we talked about last week, we're the hard people, right? We can can be that hard people too. And you can keep giving yourself away because God has you covered. And in marriage, you can keep giving yourself away. Keep treating them as you would want to be treated and you keep doing the right thing and you keep doing good because God has you covered. And in this family here in this room, how do we keep doing good and treating others as we'd want to be treated even though we don't always feel like we're getting that respect back or same treatment back or they don't, you know, whatever it is. How do we keep doing that? Because God has you covered. And you go in on the workplace and everybody's really awful to you and mean and terrible and you're the only one with the smiley face doing what's right and being chipper and doing good and being caring and all that and everybody just wants to take your head off because you're so kind and so caring. and treat. How do you keep doing that? Because God has you covered. 
you have a picture here of how we are able to accomplish verse 12 by understanding the disposition of God. You can give yourself away, you can do good, you can do what's right, and you can constantly give yourself in that way because you know that God has your back, that God sees, that God cares for you, that you can ask him, and he's going to respond and give you exactly what you need. He's going to give you what you need. And you know, sometimes what we need in those moments is just the comfort of God. God, just remind me that this is the right thing to do. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it. God, remind me this is the right thing to do. Strengthen me to do it again tomorrow. Because it wasn't really fun today to treat others the way I know I should be treating them. Because that's the way I'd want to be treated. Yeah, it didn't go really well at home today when I tried to apply this. God, give me the courage to keep doing it even though I'm not getting a response back with your family members that drive you crazy or you're the one that's driving them crazy. It's all be fair. We do it. Give me the strength and the courage to keep doing what's right and being kind and caring and treating them the way they want to be treated and know that God has your back and know that God cares for you. In fact, I hope that you would see that this really brings in what is Jesus' sermon at the end of chapter 6. Remember in chapter 6, he told us that we have been set free to seek God in his righteousness, to not worry about tomorrow, because we're storing up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. That was what chapter 6 zeroed in on. You've been set free to not worry about this world, not worry about this life, not worry how people treat you because your treasure's not here. Your treasure's in heaven. And God sees what you're doing and your concern is spiritual. Your concern is heavenly. Your concern is about God's approval, not human approval. And so you're seeking God. You're doing what is right. You're not worrying about tomorrow. You're not worrying how it's all going to play out. You're just set free to do good because you know God cares for you. And he's telling you, if you just ask him, he'll give it to you. So don't hold back. In asking God. This would be my big challenge for you today and for this week to think about. How are you holding back in talking to God? What are you holding back? What are you not asking him? What are you trying to take care of on your own without asking? What are you not putting in his, in his hands? What are you not turning over to him and saying, God, you've, you've, got, to, you've got this. I, I can't do this. You've got this. What are you refusing just to put on his plate? Because that's what he's asking you to do. Your treasures are in heaven. You've been freed from worry and you're seeking God. Hand it over to him. And friends, there is nothing too small for God that you should not bring it to him. There is never a place where God says, you know, that was too mundane. You wasted my time. You know, I'm, I, I only can do so much. You know, thankfully, God's not like that. We're like that. We only have so much time, so much energy, so much resources. We're only going to do so much. Not God. He's not bound by that. 
There's nothing too small. But let me put it the other way. There is also nothing too big. And friends, there's nothing too hard. We, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, went through Mark. We're going to get to go through Matthew this year and next year as well as we look at the life of Jesus. Do you know how many times people are going to come to Jesus and suggest to him that something is too hard for him to do? A lot. You know, we'll have people who have gone to doctors for years and the doctors have only made it worse. And she comes to Jesus and Jesus solves that one. Oh no, my uh, child is sick and nobody can solve that. Jesus does. Oh, it's too late. That child died. You might as well not bother coming. No, no, it's not too late. I can take care of that too. Raise him from the dead. No issues. Uh, He's been in the tomb past three days. It's way too late. We all know science. Science says after three days, the body's decomposing. It's really gross. Go Google what happens on day four. If you don't have embalming and all that, you're basically, all oh, your guts are going everywhere. You're, you're out of commission. Jesus goes, that's not too hard. I know he's decomposing. That's okay. I can fix that too. How many things do we come to God and go, well, this one's too hard for you. And how many things has Jesus done while he was on the earth to say, there's nothing too hard. Why aren't you asking? Why aren't you seeking? Why aren't you knocking? And I submit the answer to that is based on how we look at God. Do we see the disposition that God has toward us? And does that keep us from praying to him? If we will see him like verse 11 shows that we have a father who is in heaven, who is perfect and not evil, who wants to give good things to those who ask him. Then what's holding you back from asking and what's holding you back from giving yourself away to others to treat others as they would want to be treated? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a convicting lesson that your son teaches us. Lord, I pray these two messages from your son would, would strike into our hearts. And Lord, that you would remind us regularly, frequently, daily, constantly that we need to bring everything to you. Lord, help us to see that nothing's too small, that nothing's too big, that nothing's too easy or nothing's too hard. And forgive us for the times that we have presumed that whatever we are going through is insignificant to you. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we have presumed that something would be too hard and out of the realm of possibility for you to handle. Lord, we know that you are able to do all things. We know that there is nothing too small and nothing too hard. And forgive us for when we've slid into that kind of thinking. Lord, we pray that we'd be more dependent upon you that we would be more vibrant in our prayer life, more vibrant in our conversations with you, that we would see you as you want us to see you and help us to see you as a loving, good father who gives good gifts. 
that it is your desire to give us what is good, not useless and not harmful. And Lord, we pray with that information deeply in our hearts that we would treat others as we would want to be treated. Lord, help us to love our neighbors. Help us to do good for others. Help us to do good in our marriages, in our family relationships, with our friendships, with acquaintances, with strangers, with coworkers. Help us to do good to all people at all times because we know that's what you want us to do. And because we know that you will care for us. So Lord, help us to be the sacrificing, giving people that you want us to be. Help us to seek you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus and come to the offer. I don't know that there's a better offer to think of. The Heavenly Father. I'll give you good things if you ask me. It's just a mind-blowing idea. And how frequently we just do not take advantage of that. That we need to access that. The good God that we have. And that we would take it all to him. His great concern for you. His greatest concern for you. Is the salvation of your soul. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a deep long relationship with you. He wants to be your father. Not just merely your God. And this is your chance this morning. To come to him with all of your heart. To make a decision today that you need this God, this God who cares for you and loves you and wants to give good things to you in your life. Would you turn away from sin, confess Jesus to be the son of God who came to this world and died for your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and choose to follow him each day of your life and walk with him faithfully. Can we help you do that? Let me know afterward. Let someone know next to you or you can come forward while we stand and while we sing.